Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. So here we are in the middle of um, the series called The Good Life. And, and when I talk about The Good Life, as much as I would enjoy it, and I know Carrie would enjoy it, I'm not talking about sitting on the beach with your feet in the water and the, the sand coming, um, and, and certainly not the sand that you're going to take in your car and it's going to stay there forever next month. That's right. Um, I, I announced to the, the Wednesday uh, Young at Heart group that uh, in February... Uh, it's my wife's birthday, and she had um, asked me uh, when we were on our cruise, you know, it's unfair if you ask questions while you're on the cruise, but I said, what would you like to do for your birthday? And she goes, I want to go somewhere where it's warm, all right? And so the only place that I could think of warm in February was Florida, so we're going to be taking a trip to Florida, and, and um, we'll be able to live the good life um, in addition to living the good life that I'm talking to you about today. Well, if you recall... Uh, the, the passage or the, the uh, verses that I've used for this um, study is 1 Timothy chapter 4. And what it says this in verses 6 through 8, it says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant. A good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit. You know, in, in January, I think uh, January 17th has come and gone. That's the national quit your uh, resolution day. And so that's when more than 75% of the people who made resolutions have already given up on their resolution. And the Bible tells us that bodily training is profitable, but just, just for a little bit. But here's what really counts. It says godliness is beneficial in every way. Why? since it holds a promise for this present life and the life to come. Well, I don't know if you remember, but in week one, I introduced you to the concept of confess it. And each one of these are what uh, I call a core competency. If you have these four core competencies in your life, you have a thriving, you have a dynamic relationship in your walk with Christ. If you're missing any of these four, you're probably struggling. And the more you miss the the harder your struggle is or the lack thereof of a relationship with Christ. And so when I talked about confess it, and um, it was really more about growing in grace. Being able to, to grow from confessing our sins to confessing God's goodness to ultimately confessing God's scripture. Now that's easier said than done. Most people who are struggling, who are uh, backslidden, who are far from God... Um, they don't want to confess their sins. They certainly don't want to confess about God's goodness. And they struggle taking God's word and confessing that and reading that uh, prophetically. But that's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. Then week two, I talked to you about the second core competency. And the second core competency was just to read it. 
And this is where we take God's word and we hide it in our heart. This is, I, I walked you through Psalm 1, just six quick verses. But what was the, the focal point of those six verses? And that was this, that we learn to delight in God's instruction. You know, most people, when we read God's word, sometimes we see it as an admonition. We see it as a reprovement. And, and it's not easy for us to delight in that. But even in the, the times when God's word pierces us, we're supposed to find delight in that. And then what he tells us is that we're also to delight in all of his instructions, not just the, the couple that we like. Have you ever played Monopoly with somebody and when they were playing the game, they started, it seemed like they were making the rules up as the game went on? And that's the most frustrating thing. You know, like you, you passed a free parking and you, you were expecting to get like $7,000 and they're like, no, no, no. If you would have rolled the dice the other side of the board, well, then you could have gotten that. But because it was this side of the board, a lot, you know, Christians sometimes they see God's word as that. And they think that God's coming up with all these archaic rules and, you know, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And that's just not the truth. The truth is that his instructions have been there for thousands of years and, and it's up to us to delight ourselves in them, to find out what he said, and to live it in our lives. Well, so we started with confess it, went in to read it, and this week we're into the topic of ask it. Has anyone ever, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you ran out of things to say? And it got awkward? And so you're, you're wanting to say something and you don't know if that's the right topic to have and um, each time you, you, you get, get enough uh, gumption to do it, you talk yourself out of it. And so you've got this conversation going on in your mind, but that conversation never happens with that other person. Well, I think that a lot of times we as Christians, we're guilty of the same thing with our relationship with God. The conversation gets awkward. We don't know what to say. We're not reading his word, so we're not hearing what he says to us. Scientists tell us this, that we can go a month without eating, we can survive days without water or drinking, but we can only live minutes without breathing. Now think about these three, read it, confess it, and ask it. The Bible refers to God's word as the bread of life. And if we were to use this scientific uh, concept with our body, that we shouldn't go more than 30 days without reading God's word. And, and, and that's the, definitely the truth. But then when it comes to the confess it, uh, it, it is like water. Matter of fact, the, the Bible, when we read Psalm 1, it talked about that we're by a stream of living water. When we confess our sins, the Holy Spirit is able to come back in and to help us and, and to minister to us. But when we have sin in our lives, we stop the Holy Spirit's work. And just like, you know, it's not good for us to go many days without drinking water, it's not good for us to go many days without confessing our sins. Quenching the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, asking it. You know, asking it, if you talk, if you read, if you study about the prayer or the concept of prayer, you hear this throughout the Bible. It says to pray continually. To always be in a state of prayer. Well, let me just explain this if you didn't know that but the word pray means to ask and so like in old english somebody say i pray thee they, they, they want to ask you a question 
And so every time you hear or see the word pray in the Bible, it's really talking about ask. And, and you can invert those either way. Pray, ask, ask, or pray. Unfortunately, many of us that have been exposed to church, been exposed to uh, Christianity, been walking this walk with Christ for many years, sometimes we let prayer become a formality. We lose the dynamicness of that relationship. And we start to make it a lot more formal than it needs to be. And when we do that, we affect our spiritual relationship with our Father, with God. We do that in a bad way. But let me share something with you. That if we're going to stand before God, helpless is a powerful position to be in. Well, let me share with you a story. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings, I'm going to read uh, verse, uh, chapter 6 and verse 17 says this. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's the end of the story. Let me read the beginning of the story to you. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 11. And it says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, Will you not show me who is or who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. And so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning... And went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? do you, would you agree with me that that servant was at a helpless position? Here it is, him and Elisha sitting in his house. And they are surrounded by thousands of Syrian soldiers. Certainly these Syrian soldiers are going to take them captive. So here he is, he's helpless. And what is when he runs in to Elisha and he tells Elisha, what are we going to do? And here was Elisha's response. Didn't really answer him, he just prayed. You know, that might help us a lot of times when life happens. Don't try to figure it out, just pray. And when he prayed, he asked, he says, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, it's easy for us to look at this and think, Well, that was Elisha, and that was a long time ago. I've never seen anything like that. So my prayer for you today, the survivors, you know, there are a lot of people that are sick with the flu going around. Yet you're here today, and so I've been praying for every one of you all week. And my prayer is this, that God would open up your eyes and show you the power of prayer. How many people would be willing to confess or admit it that, you know what, 
Um, sometimes I struggle wondering if God is going to answer my prayers. Sometimes I struggle if what I'm praying for, you know, isn't really something that... Have you ever struggled a little bit in your prayer life? Yeah. You know, that's normal. And, and so today, um, under Ask It, I want to answer that question. Why do you pray or why do you not get answers to your prayer? Now, the first thing, the response that I'm going to let you know about is going to shock you. Matter of fact, you, you may want to just hold on to the, the, the seat around you because what I'm about to, I mean, this is earth shattering. This is something that, like, matter of fact, if those of you that are tech savvy, you're, you're probably going to tweet this. All right, this, this is how good it is. But the reason why is found in James 4, 2. And he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, um, you think, well, that's not very earth-shattering. And the reality is this, that most Christians don't go to God in prayer. Most Christians don't pour out their heart in prayer. Most Christians don't do what Philippians 4, 6 says and cast your anxieties. You hang on to them tight. And, and, and I want to beat you up because I would bet most of you, if I was sitting here in, in, in a, a living room and we were sitting across the coffee table from each other, most of you would tell me, you know what, it's not that I don't believe that God can, can't answer prayers. I just don't believe God's going to answer my prayers. Matter of fact, you probably think of the a verse in Proverbs uh, chapter 15, verse 29. It says this, the Lord is far from the wicked but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And you tell yourself, you know what, I'm not righteous. Matter of fact, I'm below Paul. Paul said he's the worst of sinners. I'm pretty sure I'm worse than Paul. And so you get stuck into this concept of it's not you, God, it's me. And so you don't ask. And because you don't ask, you don't get answers. Another reason why we don't get answers to our prayer is is told to us in Matthew chapter 17 and I'm I'm just going to read a couple verses to you from starting verse 14 and it says when they came to the crowd a man came up to him kneeling before him and said Lord have mercy on my son for he has had seizures and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him and Jesus answered O faithless and twisted generation How long am I with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, I I don't think that Jesus could get short with anybody. But if if he did, I think it was pretty close right there. He says, bring him to me. And so when they brought the young man to him, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. You notice how they do that, right? I mean, the disciples, they've been walking around town. They've been, they've been casting demons out. They've been healing people. They've been doing these things in the name of Jesus. But they came across this young man and couldn't get it done. And so the father had enough. He says, you know, I'm going to the source. And he took him to Jesus, and instantly Jesus healed him. And so the disciples come privately to him. And they said, why could we not cast it out? And he said this, because of your little faith. For truly I say, if you had the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. And the stark reality for many Christians is we don't have, look, a grain of mustard seed isn't a very large amount. 
the burden is not that much. You just, you just have to have some faith. It doesn't matter how much. It's what that faith is in that matters. And so Jesus said, if you just had like the mustard seed, have you ever tried to just pick up one mustard seed? You can't do it. You certainly can't do it with, with your hands. probably need chemicals or you need something electronic to be able to just isolate one mustard seed. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you don't even have that much faith. That's why you couldn't do that. Because if you just had that little tiny speck of faith, you could say to this mountain, move, and it'll move. Christians for decades have debated, does he really mean a real mountain? Or is that a hypothetical mountain? Is that an allegorical mountain? You know what, I don't care what kind of mountain it is. I believe that Jesus said we have the ability to move it. If we'll have the faith. And the reality is, many of the things that we bring to God in prayer, we don't believe God's going to do it. We don't believe God can do it. We don't believe God wants to do it for us. And so here's what you should remember is, our job is to ask, His promise is to answer. Our job is to ask God, His promise is to answer those requests. Back when I was in Bible college, I was 18 years old. It was in my second year, starting the first semester. And I took a class called prayer. If, if I could go back and only take one class, this is the class. This class changed my life. The professor was a prayer warrior. He was a man of God. And he introduced us to the concept of asking and expecting and seeing God answer. He helped us understand what it may, meant to pray continually. And so here I was in this season of my life where I was seeing God answer prayers in an incredible way. And then I found myself at work, and, and I, folks, I don't know why I did this, but um, do you all recall in the Bible how that some people ask God about a fleece and put water on one side and flipped it over and make the other side dry and, well, make everything else except the fleece? And Well, I feel like I was having one of those moments. And and here's what I believe. I believe that God sometimes meets us right where we're at. And so here was a young 18-year-old man that, that saw and was believing. And, and so I, I just asked God, believing, here I was in the job. And I worked at UPS. And I don't know if you've ever worked, but what they have is they've got conveyors at about 15 feet off the ground. And they just, these boxes go all over the place. And as they go through there, those barcodes get scanned. And then um, based on whatever is associated with that barcode, there's a bar that pops out, grabs the box, and then drops it down into a chute. At the bottom of the chute, it, there's a little uh, escalator um, that, that slides it to, to me. Now, the truck that I worked was a truck that, that went to Texas, Dallas, Texas. And I had never worked a shift where that truck got filled up. Matter of fact, we would go and we'd be at break and people would be bragging, man, I filled up three trucks. And man, my Texas truck wouldn't get, you know, there wasn't nothing big about that Texas truck. It never got filled up. And so here I am in a state of prayer in a time when, when I'm just believing God for anything. And so I asked God, I said, God, I said, I said show me how real you are. I said, and help me before my shift is over to fill this truck up with boxes. Folks, I don't think that the prayer, the words got out of my mouth and then boxes started dropping down the chute. 
It came at such a pace that they sent two other guys over to help me. We filled that truck up in 30 minutes. Now you say, that's trivial. It wasn't to that 18-year-old young man. Now I've never had to ask God for something silly like that. But what God showed me was that when you need him, he'll be there. A couple years later, we're married. We're coming up at the end of a lease, and, and I'm, we, I made a bad decision on that lease. That was, have you ever leased a car, and you're like, two months into it, you're like, ugh. Well, I, there I was. I was two months in, into the lease, and I had messed up big time. And so uh, we finally get to the end of it, and thankfully it was only a 24-month lease, and um, we started looking at uh, cars, and we, we went to a new car lot. And while we were on the new car lot, we, we, I fell in love with this Ford Escort station wagon. Now, I didn't say Cadillac, all right? Uh, it, it wasn't the high end. It was a Ford Escort station wagon. And I remember that it was white, And I remember reading on the the paper on the window that the interior was ice blue interior. Now, one of the things I learned was that when you pray, you need to pray specifically. And so Carrie and I, we started praying and asking God for a white Ford Escort station wagon with ice blue interior. Like, and, and I was thinking that, you know, it has to be that one. Because, come on, how many ice blue interior Ford Escort station wagons are there? Well, the months are going by, and we're praying for this, and we're believing God that he's going to deliver this. And, and then all of a sudden, um, I think Carrie pointed out to me that there was a, a car in the paper that was uh, uh, for sale, um, and it was used, and, and it was a phenomenal price. I mean, I think they were asking $1,500, and the blue book value on it was like 6000 And you're thinking, that's too good to be true, right? Well, I figured that it, it was probably too good to be true, but I'm willing to try. And so we drove out into the middle of nowhere. We test drove it. It, it seemed to, to drive just fine. And then um, we paid the $1,500, took the car home. And now I figured there's got to be something wrong with this. I was just hoping it wasn't going to cost more than $3,500. And it turned out to be that the radiator was bad. And so for $200 and a couple of torn up knuckles and maybe a few bad words... It was my neighbor. We got the car fixed. It was running. It was wonderful. Here we had this $6,000 car. We paid $1,500. I felt like I was the the man. And then one day I was cleaning the car out and um, I found the paperwork that was with it that was on the window. It was folded up down in the glove compartment box. And I pulled it out. And you probably know that this was a white escort station wagon. And when I looked at it, the interior was ice blue interior. Now, folks, when I went to God in prayer, I was thinking about that one on the car lot. I was thinking about the one that was going to cost me $15,000. And God, in his grace and his mercy, answered my prayer, the specific prayer that I asked. And he gave me one at one-tenth the price. Matter of fact, we drove that car for five years, got in a wreck, 
And the insurance gave us like $4,000 for it. Just last year. The Lord had uh, brought an opportunity. We had uh, Jacob was here at our church. He was volunteering. He's volunteering 30, 40 hours a week. And so one of the things when Jacob and I first sat down is he had shared with me that he wants to go into full-time ministry. And so um, I'd just been asking the Lord, how do we make that happen? How can we help Jacob? And Jacob just kept coming back and working faithfully. And so uh, the deacons and I began to talk. And as a matter of fact, the conversation was, well, you know, can we bring him on in some former capacity? And, and I shared with the deacons. I said, men, I said, I don't feel comfortable. I said, we have come to the church. We have uh, laid out an aggressive budget for the year. And, and I, I don't want to come back three months later asking for a bunch more. The very next Sunday... God provided in the form of one check the amount that would pay his salary for the year. When I saw that, I just uh, it was confirmation to me, exactly. See, when you ask God, he'll take care of answering the promise. That's, that's what his promise is. But if you don't have enough faith, not even like a mustard seed, you'll never get to see God give you a Ford Escort station wagon with ice blue interior. Instead, you're going to get one with six years of payments. That you got yourself. And if you don't have enough faith to just maybe believe that God can send a couple extra boxes your way. He'll never do something that you hadn't seen before. He might as well have been up there pushing those boxes down the chute. You know, it just goes to confirm one of the scriptures where it says that, that when we pray, he's already worked it out. God knew that I was going to ask that on that night in that shoot. And so he told the company, I don't know why, but you're going to need to order a bunch of boxes today. And so they will place that order probably three days before. Some company had to put them together. And so what you see as a coincidence, I see as the providential hand of God. And it's because of things like that that I can go to the Lord in prayer boldly. Well, another reason why we don't receive our answers to our prayers is in James 4 verse 3 and it says this you ask and you do not receive why because you ask wrongly to spend it upon your passions now most of you probably recognize this one right well it reminds me of uh, a story I read this week about these three marines were going along the, in the desert in Iraq and you know they're not really they're enjoying themselves but they're not enjoying themselves you know how that is and so they're going along, and one Marine, he sees something, and he kicks it, and, you know, this uh, lantern comes out of the dust. So they pick it up. And what do you do if there's a lantern that you found in Iraq? You, you wipe the dust off, right? And as they wipe the dust off, this genie comes out of this lantern. And the genie says what every genie says. He says, uh, you've got three wishes. One for each of you. And so it was two corporals and a, a buck sergeant. And uh, the first corporal said, hey, I know what I want. He says, I want to be back home with a nice new Corvette and all my friends. Poof, disappeared. Second corporal thinking real quick. He says, uh, I want to have a million dollars and I want to be back home. And I want my girlfriend to be there too. 
poof. And Jeannie looked at the old crusty sergeant and he says, well, what are you going to have? He says, I want those guys back here in four hours. <laughs> Too many times we as Christians think of God like that genie, that we just got to rub on that. You see, and, and see, we don't rub on it. What we do is we try to do things. I've introduced that to you. Those are dead works. There, there's nothing you can, should, or need to do to get God's attention. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, he says this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. You know, that, that word perfect probably stumps you because you're, ah, oh, you know what, man, I'm not perfect. Nope. Another translation would tell you that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who are completely focused on God. Another one says those that are blameless towards God. You see, God looks at the heart. We look at all those outward things. God's looking at our heart. And he knows when we do them for good reasons, and he knows when we don't. You know, earlier I asked you about the Monopoly game and the person who changes the rules, and the reality is this, that God hasn't, doesn't, and won't change the rules. The Bible tells us that he's the same today, yesterday, and he will be the same forever. And the God that said, I roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show myself strong on your behalf, if you're completely focused on me. So when should we pray? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, just a chapter over from that, he tells us. In verses 13 through 18, he lists the times when we should pray. The list is this, that if you're suffering, pray. If life is good, praise. If you're sick, call on the church and ask them to pray. If you're suffering, ask for help. If you're afflicted, if you're hurting, ask for help. And the God who created the universe says he will show himself strong on your behalf. But you've got to get beyond that. It's not you, God. It's me mentality. And you need to take that tiny grain of mustard seed faith that you've got, and you need to believe and when you believe, amazing things will happen. Well, maybe life is good. You're in a season of life that's wonderful. What should you do? You should praise. That's what confession is, where we, we tell God, we tell him what a great and wonderful God he is. Where we brag on God for what he's done in our life. We brag on God for what he's going to do in our life. And if you're sick, and you can make it to church. Call on the church and ask us to pray for you. It seems com complicated, but it's not. So how do we do this? How do we pray? Well, we find it right there in James chapter 5. And, and actually it's hidden in verse 16. And what it says is this. 
The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But if you're looking at it in your Bible, you'll see that there's a a portion before that. And what it says is, Therefore confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why do you want to get healed? Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What does the Bible mean when it says that word effective? Well, go back to 2 Kings chapter 6. I just shared one little story with you. But if you would read uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7, here's what you would find out. Is that uh, that's the chapter where one of the uh, men who followed Elisha, they were out there chopping down trees to build themselves houses. And one of the axe heads flew off into the river. And Elisha said, tell me where it's at. And it, be, it floated right there. Then it wasn't too long after that that the Syrian king is coming to get his head and anyone that's close to him. And that's where the, the, uh, the Syrian army surrounds him. And Elisha says, open up this young man's eyes so he can see what I see. And they saw the, the incredible army that was there to defend them. If you read a little further, you'll find out that those soldiers came down to Elisha to take him. And as they were coming down, they were blinded. And then Elisha led them off, told them, hey, you guys are in the wrong spot. Let me help you. Let me show you where to go. And so he led thousands of blind soldiers many cities away. And if you keep on reading, you'll find out that there was a famine in the land. And it got so bad that there was a lady who told the story to the king how that uh, the neighbor came to her and said, hey, let's boil your son and we'll eat him tonight and then tomorrow we'll do that with my son. And so this woman was crazy enough and she did that. And then guess what happened the next night? That other lady disappears with her son. And when the king heard that, he uh, ripped his clothes and he said he got angry and he said, I'm going to have Elisha's head. By this time tomorrow. And so they went after Elisha. And they found him again. And when they found him. Elisha told the men who were with him. He says watch what's about to happen. And so they let the king come in. And he told the king. Because the king was complaining about the famine in the land. He says you're you're dying for this. And Elisha said. By this time tomorrow. There will be so much food in the land. But you're not going to get any of it. And so the Bible tells us that at the early parts of the morning the next day, there were four lepers, and they were desperate, and they were hungry, and they were up at the edge of the Syrians' camp. And they snuck into the camp, and they realized that there was none there. And so they ate everything they could that was in that tent. They gathered all of the valuables. They took them and hid them. They came back, and they pillaged another tent. Did that again. And then finally they said, you know what? This isn't right. We should tell everybody else about this. Because this is more than we can even handle. And so they go back and they tell the city. And at first the city thought it was a trap. But then a couple people um, were desperate enough and they ran out there and they found out it was the truth. And what had happened was the army left everything. They left their horses, they left their tents, they left all of everything and all of their food. And here's what happens. The king... He stands down in the gate, watching all of these people leave and run out there. And he was trampled by his own people. 
And it was at the same time that Elisha was speaking to him. That's what effective prayer looks like. When you pray, when you pray specifically, you see God answer. And then the second word in this verse is fervent. The, the Bible tells us, Luke 18, what fervent prayer looks like. And fervent prayer is, is, that gives the example of this widow woman. And Jesus says it this way. He says, this widow woman who was going to this unjust judge, and the unjust judge wouldn't give her what she was asking for. And so every time he came out of his chambers, she was there bugging him. And when he'd go home, to, she would follow him along, and the whole time she'd bug him. And in the morning, when he's coming back out to, to where he would work, she would follow him, and the whole time she would bug him. And then finally, he, he gave in and gave her exactly what she wanted. And Jesus said this, how much more will your heavenly father, not an unjust judge, your heavenly father, give those who cry out day and night? The sad reality is many of you will bring your prayers to God and you'll stop praying them before the day is over. You don't know what it's like to pray for someone for seven years, let alone seven days or seven hours Seven minutes. Do you want your prayers answered? Then you need to learn how to pray fervently. You need to learn how to pray and not give up. See, your timeline is not God's timeline. And God's timeline is always perfect. And the last thing it says, the prayer of a righteous man. And what you have to realize is that it's Jesus' imputed righteousness, not your own. Because the Bible tells us that none are righteous. No, not one. But if you claim the name of Jesus, if you have believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He came to this earth, He lived a perfect life, that He died on the cross for your sins, and that three days later God brought Him back from the dead, it says you'll be saved. And now you have the righteousness that Christ had imputed on you. I told you earlier that the, the best position that you can be before God is to be powerless. And when you realize it's not your righteousness, when you realize it's nothing that you can do, that's how you can come to the throne of God and you can claim the blood of Jesus. And you can pray to God and say, God, don't do this because I deserve it, because I don't. Don't do this because I'm a good person, because I'm not. Don't do this because I've been faithful in church, because I haven't. But you can say, but do this because I am a child of the king. I have accepted what Jesus Christ, your son, did. And when you learn to go with that, our prayers get answered. If you've been following along, I've shared with you some goals that we have for 2020. And one of those goals is simply this. To develop 50 active, faith-filled prayer warriors begging God to do more in the greater Centralia area than they can imagine in TBCC. Let me ask you, do you want to be one of those? Would you like to see God answer your prayers? Not just your prayers, but the prayers that you pray for your friends, for your relatives, the prayers that you pray for your neighbor, the prayers that you pray for those in this church, the prayers that you pray. Would you just like to see God answer a prayer? Well, church, I believe that God has called us, that he is preparing 50 of us to stand up and no longer accept the fact that we don't have a God that answers prayer. But the claim through faith, even if it's tiny mustard seed faith, that Jesus Christ is on the throne. To claim that through Jesus Christ, we can see and expect God to do the unexpected.
that we can believe God for the impossible. But many people, you, we won't accept that. That's what frustrated Jesus. All they had was three years of his ministry. We've got 66 books that he handwritten for us. We've got story after story where he's done the impossible, the unthinkable. Where did Elisha get that kind of faith? He got it when he sat at the feet of Elijah. And if you continue to read in, in uh, James chapter 5, it says, And Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what that means? That means he wasn't perfect. That means he got mad. That means he made mistakes. But he prayed. Church, today's an opportunity. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.